Welcome to Reliability Matters, a podcast for the electronic assembly industry. Each episode covers topics related to reliability, best practices, and environmentally responsible assembly techniques with insights from experts across the electronic assembly industry. Now, here's your host, Mike Conrad. Welcome back to the Reliability Matters podcast. I'm so glad you're with me today. This is episode number 98. As I said in our previous episode, we're getting very close to episode 100, only two episodes away. For our 100th episode, we're going to do something we've never done before. Our 100th episode will be broadcast live. It will be broadcast live on LinkedIn and YouTube on July 26th at 10 a.m. Pacific. We'll replay clips from several of our prior episodes and hear a few comments from some of our past guests. As we creep ever so close to episode 100, once again, I'd like to thank both my guests and you, the listeners and viewers of this podcast, because as I said before, without all of you, I would just be a talking head, and Lord knows we have enough talking heads these days. If you're watching this on YouTube, click on the subscribe button and click the bell icon to be notified when new episodes are released, including our 100th episode. If you'd like to watch our episode, our 100th episode on LinkedIn, just follow me on LinkedIn. Today, we're going to return to the popular subject of solder paste. My guest today is Jen Fijalkowski. Jen works for AIM Solder. Jen obtained her Bachelor's of Science from the University of Rhode Island in Chemical Engineering and is a certified Lean Six Sigma Greenbelt. Prior to her role as Technical Marketing Engineer, she interned as an SMT process engineer where she analyzed various reports regarding solder paste printing and she co-authored Comparison of Aperture Designs, Solder Paste, Nano Coatings, and Print Inspection Systems, quite a title, published in Circuits Assembly Magazine. I'll post a link to her article in the show notes. If you're watching this episode on YouTube, just click on the Show More button right down there uh, and you can get that link. If you're listening to this podcast on your favorite podcast app, just click on the show notes. Jen also produces a video blog titled Line Down, where she discusses common questions about solder paste best practices, and most importantly, how to avoid solder paste induced line down situations. Now here's my conversation with Jen Fijalkowski. Hey Jen, welcome. Hi Mike, thanks for having me. Of and course. Thanks for the introduction. Well, of course, and thanks for uh, thanks for agreeing to uh, spend the next uh, moment of time with me and talk about uh, probably the world's most interesting topic, uh, solder paste. <laughs> My pleasure. <laughs> so, uh, before we get into all that, uh, what made you? Uh, what attracted you to the electronics industry, and um, maybe even more specifically, the material side of the electronics industry? So I guess I'd swap those questions because uh, initially I had an interest in materials. As you said, I studied chemical engineering at the University of Rhode Island, and I always had an interest in you know, how things are made, uh, what bonds change the uh, mechanical reliability of certain objects. So I was always interested in how and what things are made of. Uh, the electronic side came a few years after I was already uh, studying chemical engineering. And uh, I had my, my previous boss uh, introduce me to a circuit board. So as a, a chemical engineer, electricity is a bit uh, you know, distant from what we do uh, 
with chemical engineering and chemical processing. So when I first saw a circuit board, you know, in front of me saying, this is something you should be interested in, I was a bit hesitant, but then I realized, you know, there's so much, there's so much uh, metallurgy and plastics engineering, process engineering, uh, material science that goes on in making all of our favorite electronics that it really drew me as something that is not only relevant, but something that's not really talked about, kind of like a, a niche industry that we, like affects us all. So that's what really drew me in. Um, and then I just, you know, every everything I learn, it becomes more and more interesting because this is a, a growing industry. Yeah, I think it's um, not often one can sit in a room filled with civilians, you know, people not in our industry, and and point to 200 items that we made, you know, that we had our, our hands on it in, in one form or another, right? Uh, I can't think of, uh, outside of electronics, I can't think of, and maybe the food industry, uh, that is so omnipresent, right? Um, mm -hmm. It's uh, pretty much everything you see uh, is, is made by us. And if, if you didn't sell the paste, you know the person who sold the paste. You know, if I didn't clean the board, I know the people who clean the board. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's a, you can go anywhere from, you know, the, you know, your iPad or something all the way down to like your remote control, you know, it's, it's everything and everything in between. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely, um, a, I think a fascinating industry. Uh, and, and it moves at kind of at the speed of light. Uh, it, it changes so frequently, which, keeps us all on our toes. And I, and for me anyway, it, it exactly. one of my a most frustrating and B most exciting parts of this industry is, is it's pace of change. Want to talk about solder paste? Let's do it. All right. Um, so among other things, before we get into the actual paste stuff, but to do with paste, uh, you produce a video series called line down. Uh, I love the title of that series because no one wants their line to be down. Right? Yeah, right? That's, it's really catchy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it got my attention. So um, it's, it's been said by many, probably accurately, that most of the reliability problems start at the, either, either the paste or the printing process, right? That is kind of the genesis of, of many issues that, and many successes, right? It, it's, you make it or break it at that point. There's some, lots of other things that could go wrong later, but, but a lot of the reliability issues start at that process. So uh, you're at kind of at the beginning of the food chain um, in terms of assembly. Um, so tell me what, what drew you to, uh, or, or what was the genesis of the line down series and what made you say, I'll get in front of the camera. Was that your idea? Were you voluntold? Uh, you know, was that an assignment <laughs> or something tells me based on your enthusiasm as, as evidenced by the videos that, that maybe you wanted to do this? Like, I guess it's something that, I don't know, I wasn't as, like, afraid to do it because we have pictures and photos of us all over the place. And I have, I mean, presented before, so why not capture it in a video? Um, and we knew uh, with AIM that's something we wanted to move towards, especially being virtual, is that people are a lot more receptive to people speaking than just an image. Um, so... That's what drew us to the video. Uh, as for the content, we knew that we also wanted to answer our customers' questions and to also get information that we have available like on our website or in some of our supporting documents, but have them, you know, as a have them be out there in a reminder. So these videos kind of serve as a hey, we have advice on how to problem solve these situations that are already available, but 
here it is. Let's repackage it. Let's remind you and let's prevent your line from be being down. Yeah, uh, I think also, I, I assume this is intentional. It seems to be presented on a basic level. I don't think you're, you're, you're not uh, digging for gold. You're, you're not going, you're not building uh, mine shafts and going super, super, super deep technically. Uh, and, and my experience when I, when I present papers is I purposely keep it a little shallow. There are plenty of engineers out there that'll present you know, molecular level stuff. And, and, but I think there's a good percentage of the audience that maybe doesn't have a good handling of the basic, of good um, knowledge of the basic, and they're kind of afraid to ask that. So to watch uh, videos about you know, how long to keep it out of the fridge before you use it and, and stirring the, the basic stuff that, that many people might forget, or maybe you know, if you're young and you've just graduated college, you know how electrons work, but you may not know the amount of time <laughs> solder paste should settle or squeegee pressures or thing, those are things that are kind of learned uh, at the trade level. So either at a trade school or on the, on the production floor, not necessarily in a university setting. So I think that, that those efforts uh, are, are well-founded to kind of start at the basics, uh, presume nothing, you know, kind of a beginner's mindset. Was that intentional? Yeah, I think it was intentional, or I know it was intentional for two reasons. One being that you know, we're living in a time where everyone has a short attention span. So we are trying to keep these videos to a minute or below. So as people you know, scroll and watch the video, that it only takes a minute for them to get the information that we're trying to get out there. And then there's a link for more detailed information. And I do agree that um, you know, there's a wide range of people that can go into this industry and to start from the basics, you know, we're we're trying to do a service to people to just remind them of where to start and if they want to look for more information you know that's when things become more complicated we get our tech people in or have presentations but i think that there's a, a as you agreed a wide audience of people who are just looking for the basics and in a very digestible format yeah yeah it's not what's said it's what's received right so uh, that that's important okay uh what are some of the common speaking of mistakes lying down uh, what are some of the common mistakes that you see from your perspective um, that that continue to be made when it comes to uh, solder paste? Uh, mistakes that could lead to a line down or, or a reliability issue in, in the future. Well, I think um, as we we're saying before, a lot of people get caught up in the you know molecular aspect of things and get really focused on say like the printing side because there's so many like levers and buttons that you can press, so many different settings you can adjust that people get really distracted by printer uh, printing aspects when really uh, we see in, in the field that a lot of defects that can be prevented really come from shipping and handling uh, misusage or not following the proper instructions. And so that's uh, been a theme in a few of our episodes is just you know, how do you allow paste to reach room temperature? You, you don't apply heat and you don't use automated mixers and just very simple things like, you know, you think about uh, baking a cake, you wanna make sure your eggs are good before you mix them in and put them in the oven. It's kind of a before the first step, that's uh, where we see a lot of mistakes being made, especially because this is an industry that uses our material worldwide. There's various seasons and, you know, we're shipping all across the world. So you, it, you know, it might seem like you only need to worry when you get your pace, but you really need to think about every single step that uh, it endures. Yeah. I've, I've had the um, privilege of traveling around the world, you know, several times. And 
Um, and I've been to a lot of production facilities, assembly facilities, and they're not all they're not all super climate controlled. They're not all uh, what we what we may be used to um, from you know our local shops. Uh, some of them are are a little on the rough side, and um, uh, that that you're right that that puts your product in a variety of situations. Um, products are tested in a lab, but they're used in the real world. So uh, I'm sure that 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 has to be taken into account. Um, how long they leave a jar out of the fridge probably partially depends upon the ambient, uh, you know, climactic environment uh, around there. Or something simple as mixing old paste with new paste. Like that's something that, you know, we don't recommend that I'm sure people do because they think that they're saving money or, you know, reducing storage uh, in like a fridge or something like that. But, you know, it's our job to like advise the best way to use our product. And we see that that's the first step in having a successful process. How about putting things back in the fridge, uh, opening jars, you know, letting them settle, mix them up, use some of it. Do we put it back in the fridge at that point or do we, once it's out, so do we keep it out? Yeah, once it's out, it's out typically. Uh, and you should reseal it if you're finished with it, but it shouldn't be re-refrigerated after it's already been opened. So typically what's the, the shelf life? Once, once someone cracks open the jar, you know, scoops out what they need for a production run and there's stuff left in the jar, um, mm -hmm. the clock is ticking at that point, right? Because it's not going to go back in the fridge and, and, and stop time, pause time. Uh, what typically is uh, the shelf life once opened and exposed to ambient temperatures? So we do recommend that if you're going to open your jar of paste that you uh, try to use it all in a, in a single day. Um, as you said, the conditions of the manufacturing floor will also alter how long the paste uh, is viable for. So in ideal conditions, we would say, you know, use what, what you can within that, within that day. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, how long, well, the day. So don't put it back on a, on a shelf and use it a week later. That's, that's yes. typically a bad idea. Exactly. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, there's, uh, well, from your perspective, let's just kind of start at basics again. Uh, what's the most common solder paste type used today? So I would say a uh, no clean solder paste are definitely the most common with lead free alloys. Uh, at AIM, that would be M8, like SAC 305. That's probably our leader um, because, you know, everyone likes to save the cost of uh, cleaning at the end. And we know that a uh, no clean paste should be able to reach IPC uh, SIR reliability standards without cleaning. So if you can take that step away, um, we found that in the industry that's been a very popular choice. Um, and also lead-free alloys are the, the move recently, or not recently, but have been in the industry for a while for uh, safety reasons and because uh, they can do most jobs. Right, like they can serve uh, most industries and applications, and uh, that would we see typically type four still being used. Okay, so there's a lot of talk. I hear a lot of talk. I'm not in the materials business, um, I'm in the equipment business, but I do hear a lot of talk about specialty solder paste, particularly these days. Um, low temperature solder paste, uh, low voiding solder paste, um, high reliability solder paste. And the high reliability one gets me because I assume all solder paste are kind of high reliability. So it makes me wonder, 
you know, I don't think you'd ever sell anything and label it low reliability, right? But, <laughs> but there's solder paste and the high reliability solder paste, low temperature, low voiding. Let's begin with the so-called high reliability solder paste. What are the differences between uh, a regular, you know, off-the-shelf SAC 305 and something kind of billed as or marketed as a higher reliability paste? What would the, what are the differences in the paste and what applications would you see that, that paste going into? Sure. So we define high reliability applications as those that um, use the end product in harsh environments. And so I guess the question is then, what is a harsh environment? And that is dictated by the end user. But we think or we believe that uh, high reliability products are mostly used in aerospace, military and uh, avionic applications. So those applications are pushing requirements uh, beyond just day-to-day -day usage. So it's, it's not like your computer remote that you use every day. It's something that's gonna go uh, into atmospheres that are atypical. So wide temperature ranges, different uh, humidities, and different um, like mechanical requirements are what make high reliability products different than normal ones. So. Um, some testing that you do to products to ensure that they will be able to endure these harsh environments are thermal cycling tests, thermal shock tests, uh, stress strain tests to look at the mechanical reliability of the joint, and also SIR testing in um, different humidity and temperature settings. So it has both to do with the paste chemistry, you know, so that you're uh, preventing dendritic growth in those extreme environments, and also the... Um, alloy characteristics so that, you know, if you're, you know, the product's vibrating or it's being dropped or, you know, changing environments very rapidly, that it will maintain the quality of the solder joint. So really high reliability is just pushing uh, products to their, their endpoints, really. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, let's talk about the low voiding. Well, let's talk about solder voiding in general. There's two camps, and I've heard both on this show. Uh, those that say um, that voiding is a real issue and we need to decrease voiding to as close to 0% voiding as possible. And then there are those that say voiding is overrated. You know, we can get away with 80% voiding, just 20% contact. There's enough thermal dissipation and enough um, 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 bonding uh, from a, from a uh, current standpoint uh, and, and, and enough adhesion that uh, from, from a a, bond, a bonding standpoint that nothing's going to fall off, current will flow, and nothing's going to overheat. It's all overrated. I, I've heard both on this show, and I, I'm sure the answer is a little bit case dependent, but it's probably somewhere in the middle. If, I'm sure it can be. You know, we probably don't need zero percent voiding, um, and mm -hmm. probably eighty percent is too much. So somewhere in the middle. But I suppose it depends on the cost of failure and the expected life of the product and the climactic and use environment, and you know whether it's going into a shock, you know, a vibration and shock condition or, you know, mm -hmm. on, on a spacecraft or something like that. Um, but what are the characteristics of a low voiding uh, solder paste from, does it have a different reflow characteristic? Does it require um, a narrower uh, tolerance within the reflow profile? Uh, does it print differently? The, the, what are the physical characteristics and in-use uh, characteristics of a low voiding solder paste versus a standard solder paste? 
So first we'll talk about voiding in general, what it means to the industry and to um, you know the, the, the EMS provider. So we know that with IPC, the requirement for 6.1.5.3 is that the total volume of voids needs to be uh, less than 50% or less. So that's just the standard that we need to follow as an industry. You know, whether you think you can get away with 80% or 30%, that is dictated by uh, the, the person buying the, the product at the end who is, uh, you know, going over the quality of the product. So that's what we have to work on, right? We have that 50% maximum. And then beyond that, as you said, it's really comes down to like case by case, what are the requirements dictated um, by quality? So how we have adapted our, actually we have a new low voiding, uh, no clean solder paste called V9 at AIM. And what we have done is we have both um, made sure that our printing capabilities with this new paste are equal to that or greater than that of M8, which is one of our most uh, well-studied paste. So we don't want to compromise any other characteristics by also introducing this low voiding um, characteristic, which includes having a flexible reflow um, profile setting. So, you know, no matter what profile you use or tweak it to, it's still going to have a, an incrementally lower voiding percentage than um, our M8 pace or some of our competitors pace. So it's, it's really not about like taking away any other characteristic by inputting low voiding characteristic, but, you know, getting everything um, all at once. Yeah, you know, like many things in life, um, there are there are many products that deliver a specific advantage, but also carry a disadvantage. I, I crack up when I watch commercials for pharmaceuticals, for example. You know, if you have this problem, take this, take this prescription, and then they list twenty five things that could happen as a side effect. You know, suicidal thoughts and excessive <sighs> gas and and just just the horrible stuff that makes you wonder, you know, you're solving one problem, creating 20 more, you know, potentially. In, in this context, in solder paste, when there's these specialty paste, and we'll talk about low temperature paste in a moment, but say low temperature paste or a low voiding paste or some high reliability paste, um, clearly there are specific advantages. Do they, do they also come with some downsides so that maybe unless you specifically need it, one might want to avoid that particular attribute because it's harder to reflow or it's harder to print or whatever. I don't, I'm, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but are there flip sides to some of these? Are there, you know, decisions that need to be weighed uh, when one implements a, a more specialty paste? Um, I think that, you know, when you're introducing a more specialty paste, there is going to be less research conducted on it being used in different applications just because of, you know, the, the fact that it's been useless. So there are going to be some, you know, new applications or new uses, new material combinations. Um, and that's just a, a symptom of trying something new. But I think, you know, something that this podcast does, and I think that's something that uh, other, you know, industry organizations try to promote is us sharing our findings, right? Um, so when we say like, oh, I'm using this new specialty material. And when I I don't know. I I use this surface finish. You know, it's a bit different than what I what I'm used to. Um, I think it's a it's the responsibility of everyone in this industry to kind of like share our observations for the, the 
better use of the product in the long run. So I know it's a, you know, it's a market we're all trying to make money, but the, I think the sharing of knowledge is uh, something that, you know, won't make or break anyone else's bank. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. Let's talk about low temperature solder paste. Ironically, uh, kind of an oxymoron, low temperature solder paste is a hot topic right now. Um, <laughs> so what applications benefit from low temperature uh, solder? And and then we'll get into some of the, the physical characteristics of that. But what, who's buying low temperature solder and why? You're right. Low temperature solder is a hot topic these days. And uh, for a few reasons. So the reason uh, low temperature solders are being implemented, or one of them, is because we're introducing new um, component materials. So the, the plastics and different components, whether you want to save money or have uh, you know different characteristics to the component, um, something that's changing is also the melting temperature of that plastic. So I've actually seen it before firsthand where you run a board at a, you know, a stack profile or something, and then one of your throw-hole components is melted. And, you know, that's just not, you're not going to be able to use a product like that. So that has been a, one of the motivations to switch to a, a lower uh, melting temperature solder so that, you know, the peak reflow temperature is below the, the, the temperature that melts the plastic. So that's one motivation. And uh, another motivation is also just energy consumption. So as we know, we use these massive reflow ovens that are like the size of small boats. And if you can reduce the overall like uh, reflow profile, the, the entire temperature of that oven, you're gonna be saving a lot in energy. So those are probably two of the main uh, motivations to move to uh, low temperature alloy. You know, we did a study with uh, a DOE with our uh, friends and colleagues at Foresight, which is a, a failure analysis laboratory in Indiana. And the hypothesis was on uh, boards that are going to be reflowed that with no clean paste and not be cleaned. Uh, what are the SIR ratings if the reflow profile drifts beyond what's expected? So... In this case, we use a SAC 305, no clean paste. The lowest acceptable or the lowest recommended reflow temperature was 230 degrees C. That was the lowest. And so we ran boards at 230. And then we ran another set of boards at uh, 2 degrees, 2% uh, less. And then another 2% less. And then we got to 5% less. 5% was 218 degrees. Uh, from a... From a uh, solderability standpoint, nothing fell off and we didn't leave any sludge, you know, it wasn't sitting there sludgy on the board. Uh, we had a good solder bond. Um, the difference was when we ran the board through SIR, at 5% off, we miserably failed SIR tests. At 100% of the peak reflow temperature, 230 degrees, we, it was stellar. We had super high resistivity numbers, uh, but we had miserable fails when we drifted 5%. Um, so that, you know, we, we were able to document the correlation between reflow temperature, peak reflow temperature, and SIR results. And there's a reason why solder paste manufacturers recommend a specific um, a reflow temperature. One of them is, of course, you have to melt the solder, I mean, clearly. Um, uh, but the other is there's all sorts of um, chemical tricks. They're playing with the activators, you know, particularly for no clean. The activators have to be burned off. You have to be able to encapsulate the the bad actors and, and, you know, there's all sorts of technology there, uh, heat related to, uh, to be able to offer the elimination of a process step being cleaning. Um, so 
so with that in mind, um, when I hear low temperature solder paste, I'm wondering the, the chemists that formulated this must take into account that if you're running a reflow temperature that's a lower temperature, um, they must use different types of uh, ingredients in the flux that will burn off at lower temperatures as well. Um, if you're gonna clean the, the product, no problem, then I'm not concerned. But if you're not gonna clean the product, if it's a no clean and not gonna be cleaned, and you're gonna run a lower temperature, I wonder how that is going to fall into um, SIR numbers. So is that a phenomenon well, I, known to you? And, and, and is, have, I assume there have, but have steps been taken to ensure that uh, not just you get a good quality solder joint, but also the activators and, and all the things that rely on certain temperatures, those expectations have been reduced as well. Mm -hmm. So I think that the DOE you did was extremely relevant, not only to low temperature solder paste, but just, you know, a reflow in general with any type of paste. And, you know, earlier I spoke to the relevance of the melting temperature of the alloy, but you're so right that it's, it's a paste is half, half the alloy and half of the flux activator system. And that if you're using a low temperature alloy or trying to reflow at a lower reflow, uh, reflow temperature, that you do need to reconsider the, the flux uh, chemistry that you're using. So uh, we at AIM actually do have a, a low temperature solder piece called NC273LT, which is specifically designed with a low temperature bismuth bearing alloys um, so that we can have successful reflow and fluxing activity at those lower temperatures because you know, the flux also prevents oxidation, it, it uh, promotes coalescence, it does a lot more than just hold the paste or hold the powder in place while you wait for it to melt. So you're, you're so right that, you know, you need to have a paste that not only has like the flux activation system, but also will be, you know, uh, still high reliable or high enough reliability after the assembly is completed with uh, Preferably no clean, because that's what we said at the beginning is the most popular, right? People want to save that money. So you might not do it with a low temperature pace too. Right. Um, yeah, this is, uh, you know, these are professionals at work. Don't try this at home, kids. It's not that easy. You know, you change one thing <laughs> yeah. and then there's five other things one has to consider. So um, it sounds like those considerations were made. Let's talk about solder paste mesh sizes for a moment. Um, if someone's kind of new to this industry, or you know, fresh out of college. Uh, again, they, we talked earlier before we went on air about about um, universities. You know, will will graduate an electrical engineer with a great knowledge of of electrons and and how electrical systems work, but maybe not uh, you know how to properly stir a, a jar of solder paste or you know how long to keep it out of the fridge or what mesh size one should choose. Um, so, kind of from a beginner's mindset, um, what are the typical mesh size, um, what are the typical mesh sizes that, that most people would use and what would drive, what factors would drive a, a non-typical mesh size, either a smaller sphere or larger sphere? Um, explain that, that to me if you wouldn't mind. So I'll explain to you uh, the way that I was explaining this uh, the first time around. So uh, the, how mesh sizes work as some may already know, is that the larger the type of the powder sphere, the smaller the actual sphere. So in the industry right now, I would say type four is the most popular, most widely used, most well understood. 
Um, and beyond that, how you choose to, you know, um, reduce your mesh size, uh, I learned a, a very basic a calculation, which is called the five ball rule, which can motivate you to reduce your mesh size depending on the um, aperture size of your stencil. So if five spheres fit in the width of your aperture, then you could potentially use that um, solder sphere size. And that might be something that um, people have recognized before. But I think beyond that, so that could be a guideline. That's like a first step of, okay, is this something that makes sense um, due to like the packing of the spheres so that you can create a, a full solder joint. But beyond that, um, we at AIM have actually already done a study looking at the impact of reducing mesh size from type four to type five. And we've seen a very little impact on the overall like, transfer efficiency and print quality just from making that change. Because we also know that, you know, changing the printing conditions such as nano coating the stencil or um, like cleaning the stencil at different frequencies can also impact print quality. So there's, you know, more than one decision you have to make when you're considering reducing your mesh size. But I think when you're looking at, you know, much finer, um, apertures or print um, print deposit sizes, that's when you consider, okay, maybe I should reduce my mesh size further, kind of after you've already uh, tried everything, I would say. Do you recommend nano coating uh, for specific types of applications uh, more than others? Um, I don't think there's a situation where you wouldn't recommend it, but is, is nano coating more recommended for extremely fine apertures uh, or certain mesh sizes? Yeah, so I would think that, or I know that there is an improvement seen when you use nano-coated stencils. Uh, there's an improvement in transfer efficiency and in volume deposit consistency, uh, for sure, uh, especially for those finer print, uh, finer pitch features. But something that we're seeing further down the line is as uh, these apertures become smaller and smaller, currently we are actually already looking at deposits that are 100 by 100 microns. So when you're looking at that, and stencils that are 30 microns thick, you know, you, every single dimension you need to take into consider and scrutinize to a different degree, even the stencil coating at that point. So, you know, as we are looking at these extra miniature devices, that's when you might reconsider and say, is the improvement that I'm seeing with this nano coating, uh, you know, worth the potential variation we can see in the, the deposit volume because it's just so small. Right. What you, you see a lot of applications coming across your desk. Um, are there certain applications that cause you pa to pause? Like, oh my God, this one's a hard one. So, are, are there are there more challenging applications for for a uh, materials provider um, than others? You know, they, you've got your easy stuff, you got your low hanging fruit, and then you've got really challenging things. What would those challenging things be? I would say both from you know what I see on my desk and also what I see in industry publications is actually in the automotive industry because they are taking things from every other industry, whether it's display, whether it's lighting, whether it's you know the traditional powertrain, and they're throwing it all in the car and they want it done quickly and the highest reliability and to look the best. So when I see an automotive application coming in for you know advanced technology i'm like okay this is you know their standards are high and we need to meet their expectations and you know find out what we can find about how our products act in these new applications so 
probably the automotive uh, industry is what's uh, collaborating the most with everything else. So, yeah, there's a lot of buzz right now surrounding the auto industry. Um, EVs are are um, quickly gaining market share. It's still well behind uh, ICE cars, internal combustion engine uh, vehicles, but but they are certainly gaining market share at a, at a historically rapid pace. Um, in fact, industry forecasters believe that by 2040, they'll have already produced 600 million EVs, which is a lot of, a lot of EVs on the, on the road. Um, EVs come with the potential. I don't understand why conventional cars don't offer this to the degree that EVs do, but uh, there's no reason a conventional car can be, uh, can't be autonomous, but that seems to be in the realm of, of the electric car uh, market, uh, all this autonomous driving and um, semi-autonomous driving. With, with all of the electronics now that are driving uh, systems, ADAS systems, for example, on cars that control uh, adaptive uh, braking and adaptive cruise control and blind spot indicators and uh, all this safety stuff. Uh, we are, we as drivers, and I've said this on the show before, are kind of becoming worse drivers because we're relying on the technology more than we used to. I don't, I don't literally keep my foot hovering over my brake as I'm approaching someone on the freeway because I have confidence that my adaptive cruise control using LiDAR or whatever technology it works will will um will break for me at first i would always hover over just in case uh, i don't look over my shoulder anymore before i clear a lane or change a lane because i trust my blind spot indicator would warn me if someone was there um, so i i've become kind of a worse driver relying on the technology if that technology fails me um, i could rear end somebody or i could sideswipe somebody or you know worse um so the electronics industry is is, is a very rapidly understood that that uh, quality is is a major thing you know we we're making cars far better now you're you're probably too young uh, to have um, maybe even been around in the 70s but but um, I remember driving cars in the 70s US cars in the 70s and, and we made terrible cars in the 70s and even 80s we made awful cars uh, the, the Japanese came in and made good cars and and now I think American cars European cars uh, Asian cars, they're all pretty similar in quality uh, today. Uh, but they're all concerned way more about safety than, than they have been in the past. So um, what are the, um, how have the solder material providers like yours, your company, uh, dealt with the increasing reliability demands, uh, particularly coming out of the auto industry? They, they, tend to, they tend to have their own standards. They tend to kind of march to the beat of their own drummer. Yeah. How, how have you guys uh, dealt with that? So I think or part of it has been that the responsibility has trickled down to us. So it's, it's not only the auto manufacturer that feels the need to keep their uh, drivers safe, but we also know that we need to contribute to that by creating materials that um, keep people safe. So we do that by collaborating and being in very open communication with um, the auto market that we provide to. And we say, what where are your standards? Like what tests have you done that you say you need our pace to perform at a certain place that mechanically that we can uh, try to achieve? Like you tell us and we'll do the testing. So I, I think a big part of it is that we are willing to 
do the testing in order to confirm that our products are, are safe. And, and we do that hand in hand with uh, the automotive manufacturers. And uh, yeah, we're not afraid to explore our own products. And we are quite fortunate that we have a talented metallurgy team that has developed a, an alloy called REL22, which has uh, every time outperformed uh, SAC 305, both in thermal cycling, drop shock, vibration testing, all around. So um, yeah, it's just about scrutinizing our own products because we understand the responsibility that uh, we undertake by providing them in the first place. Excellent. So without giving away any trade secrets, I don't want to have to tell you, have you tell me anything and then you have to kill me. Um, so, <laughs> um, what, um, what's the future of the solder materials industry? What direction do you see it going? Do you see any fundamental changes? Do you see just more of the same? What's your, from your vantage point, uh, what's your view on that? So I think that, um, the future is going to be in diversity of products in figuring out what works best for you, both in the like alloy aspect and in, in the pace aspect. And I think um, because people have different requirements and different uh, both for, you know, the reliability of the product and for the processing capabilities that they have in house. Um, so I, and in terms of, you know, how much money they want to spend and what type of, uh, you know, like energy, you know, in terms of like money and investments that they want to put into the product. So I think that there will be more um, specialty products uh, coming out in the future. And I think, um, I think sharing information on what we find on these new materials are going to be a really big uh, part of us continuing to develop the materials and technology to, you know, serve our society. So I think uh, both it'll be more individualized products uh, and hopefully more um, sharing of information so that we can all yeah, continue to develop as a, an industry. Very good. And finally, as we wrap up um, in the time we have left, tell me more about the article that you co-authored and it's got, uh, hold on, I need to take a deep breath because it's a long title. <laughs> Comparison of aperture design, solder paste, nano coatings, and print inspection systems. <gasps> Um, and that was uh, published in Circuits Assembly Magazine. Tell me uh, more about that article. What were the takeaways from that article? How did you get, uh, how did you get roped into that, uh, all of that? <laughs> sure. So, so that was uh, during my uh, internship when I was still in university with uh, Chris Shea, the industry consultant. And uh, this was pretty much the ultimate DOE. So it was a great opportunity for me to evaluate so many different uh, aspects of printing all together and um, so some of the things we evaluated were stencil thickness, nano coatings, uh, different nano coatings too, uh, like we looked at a nano coating that was cured on and we looked at one that was wiped on. We also looked at various uh, aperture designs, so for um, the 0402s we did a uh, inverted home plate versus just like a radius uh, aperture um, opening and we also looked at various uh, solder paste too. So um, it's kind of like this ultimate, how many things can we tweak at once while still um, you know, being able to look at how each variable affected. Um, we looked at transfer efficiency and uh, volume, uh, like volume percentage and variation as indicators for um, the effects of each of these variables. And we found that, um, you know, reducing the uh, sensor thickness, improved uh, 
uh, paste uh, volume deposit consistency. We also found that the cured on nano coating performed the best. Uh, we then decided that um, the volume printed for the inverted home plate and the radius uh, aperture design uh, produced a similar volume percentage but that we know that the inverted home plate can reduce uh, the potential for tombstoning and midship solder ball um, production or creation. So um, it was a really great opportunity for me to work with uh, some very talented engineers to evaluate the, the different um, variables that go into printing. And, not, and we got to do it like statistically using solder paste inspection data, which uh, for anyone who's technical, like we just looked at lines and lines of Excel and uh, we were able to come up with some really um, important and impactful outcomes that I now use to guide the way I evaluate um, starter pace performance uh, with AIM. Yeah, it's amazing what you find when you look and and uh, yeah. all that data. Uh, I'm sure you, uh, half, the, half the effort was probably data mining, right? Just extracting the data. It's all there. It's telling a story. It's screaming out a story. You just have to, you just have to extract just it. Have a look. Right. Exactly. Um, well, there's, there's probably no one better to work with than Chris Shea, uh, at, as a, a co-author. Um, she, um, yeah, she, she certainly wrote the book on that a, subject. Yeah, exactly. She's a uh, great at teaching the basics too. And I think that's where I've taken a lot of my inspiration from is like, wow, someone told it to me in plain English. So let's, let's continue on that track. Excellent. Uh, well, Jen, thank, thank you so much for agreeing to be my guest on this show. Um, it's been a real pleasure uh, and very uh, informative. I, I really appreciate um, uh, the work you do with your video series, Line Down. Um, where can people find that? Is, is that on the AIM website? Is, is it on, do you have a YouTube channel going? Or? Yeah, Line Down is mostly on LinkedIn right now, but okay. it can also be found on our website. Okay. Um, and then, uh, again, that article uh, that was uh, written by uh, Chris Shea and Jen, uh, I'll have a link to that article uh, published in Circuits Assembly magazine uh, in the show notes. So once again, if you're watching this on YouTube, click the Show More button and you'll see a link to, the, to that article. Uh, and um, I'll also post some line down links as well uh, so you can get some good, good information uh, directly from Jen. Um, and if you're listening to this on your favorite podcast app, just click on the show notes using your uh, podcast app and you'll also find those links there. Uh, so Jen, once again, thanks for spending your afternoon with me. I really appreciate it and, um, keep up the good work. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me. And thanks for giving us the opportunity to talk about Sarface. My pleasure. <laughs> All, I, I do. That is one of my favorite subjects anyway. So I, I'm happy uh, to talk about solder paste. So thanks, Jen. Thank you. Have a good one. And congratulations on almost 100 episodes. Thank you. You are you are number 98. So just two more uh, before we hit 100. And yeah, that'll be a fun one. We're doing that one live, live. Um, which is a little scary because so many things could go wrong. So many things do go wrong. But but why not? We're human, right? Why not, why not show it? Yeah. Um, so I'm looking forward to that episode. Um, okay, well, thanks again, Jen. Thank you. Have a good afternoon. You too. Well, that's another episode. Thanks for listening to or watching the Reliability Matters podcast. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe to Reliability Matters on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, 
and on our newest channel, Amazon Music, or virtually wherever you get your podcasts. A special thanks to Circuit Assembly Magazine's PCB Chat at pcbchat.com and Ascendo Reliability at reliability.fm for syndicating the show. Thanks for your questions and episode suggestions. Please keep them coming. Send comments to mike at mikeconrad.com. That's Conrad spelled with a K. Once again, thanks for listening or watching. If you're watching this on YouTube, be sure and click the subscribe button and the bell icon to be notified when new episodes are released. I'll see you again in a couple of weeks. In the meantime, stay safe, stay healthy, stay happy, and of course, keep doing it right. Thanks for listening to the Reliability Matters podcast. Join us on the second and fourth Tuesday of each month for new episodes of Reliability Matters.